This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. You can find it on page 957 in the Bibles in your rows. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is uh, Michael Prevatera. I'm one of the pastors here and serve as a campus minister at Xavier University. Uh, I want to begin this morning with an admission. I have a problem. Uh, It has affected my bank account. It has embarrassed my wife and caused me to do things I don't want to do. My problem is snacking. Uh, I love snacks. If you were at the men's event last night at Pastor Brian's house, uh, you may have seen me go back to the pretzels multiple times and the meat sticks and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I love cookies. I love chips. Honestly, I have never met a snack that I don't like. Uh, have I ever picked up a pizza from the, the shop and had a slice or two on the way home in the car? Yes. Have I ever eaten a whole box of Oreos? Maybe not in one sitting, but yes. Yes, I have. Um, if it's a snack food and it's in front of me, I can't control myself. I make excuses, I justify my snacking, uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this room. In fact, losing control is a common human experience, isn't it? And, and there's lots of songs and art out there about losing my control, I mean, especially when it comes to love, or you think of Can't Help Myself by the Four Tops, or Elvis's Can't Help Falling in Love with You, or Lose Control by Missy Elliott. There's all these songs right there, and there's these themes in movies as well, like The Shining, or Star Wars, with this battle about would I lose control of the dark side of the force, or the amazing Spider-Man 3 starring Tobey Maguire. It's a terrible movie. Please don't watch it if you haven't. But in that movie, uh, Peter Parker struggles with losing control to the the Venom alien suit or whatever. And we can all relate to that because we have all had the experience of being out of control in some way, one one form, shape, or another. Even if it's as small as not being able to say no to a second helping of ice cream or something as big as battling an addiction. There's a part of our nature as human beings that knows the right thing to do, but is powerless to do it. And as we finish up our series through the fruit of the Spirit, you might find it surprising then in this list of things that seems kind of like no-brainers for the Christian life, um, to find at the very end of it, you see it up there on the banner, the power to say no as the final attribute that Paul uses to sum up what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And in some ways, also self-control is maybe at the root of all of these things that are listed in Galatians 5. So this morning I want to explore a little bit what self-control is 
and why it matters and why it's so hard, and then where we get the power for growing in self-control in our lives. So what is self-control? Well, we are living in a weird time when it comes to this topic, uh, because on one hand, our culture says self-control is weird, right? We say, don't limit yourself, give in to your desires, your whims, your feelings. I mean, the phrase binge watch is very common, and it's totally okay to do. Uh, and, and we say, whatever is going on deep down inside you, that's what's actually true and real, and you should give in to it. So that could be sexuality and gender uh, versus uh, what I feel is true versus biological or objective realities. It could be our feelings. Whatever I'm feeling in this moment is real and right. It could be t- at, like anger or outrage despite someone's intention or taking offense at some, something. It could be food, fun, or pleasure, right? We have these ideas of YOLO or treat yourself or have it your way. Whatever you want, whatever you think, whatever you feel, that is good and you should give in to it. And yet, at the same time, we have this other cultural narrative that says that self-control is really important. Right? You can think about fitness influencers or self-help gurus or scientists, right? Uh, you've probably heard of the famous Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. Now, this was a psychological study conducted in the late 60s, early 70s, in which children were placed in a room uh, with some tasty snacks, such as a marshmallow, and they were told if they could wait a short while before eating it, then they'd get an extra snack as a reward. So your choice was you can have the one marshmallow now, or you can wait a little bit and have two later. Well, there were, what they did then was follow up with these kids later on in life, and what they found was that the, the kids that were able to exercise self-control in this situation by waiting to eat the snack... It was, that was correlated later on with positive outcomes in their life. So uh, academic success or physical health or whatever. Basically, the kids who could flex the self-control muscle tended to do better later on in life on a, on a whole different bunch of measures. And a lot of research has continued to back up these findings. Uh, Roy Baumaster, who's a, who's a researcher in this area, he says, most of the problems that plague modern individuals in our society, addiction, overeating, crime, domestic violence, sexually transmitted diseases, prejudice, debt, unwanted pregnancy, educational failure, underperformance at school and work, lack of savings, failure to exercise, all have some degree of self-control failure as a central aspect. So on one hand, we have this cultural narrative that says, you do you, act on your impulses, live your truth, and scientific research that says, oh, and by the way, that's really bad for you. So it's very confusing. And that's not to mention the heaps of literature out there arguing for rules or goal setting or habits or life hacks or starting the day by making your bed. We have these two strong narratives. And you have to ask, well, which is it? Is, it, is self-control really important? Or is it something that's hindering you from finding your true self and living out your full identity? We're, we're very confused. But the witness of the Bible and Christian tradition is that self-control is actually fundamental to human flourishing. A couple of scriptures on this. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A strong image for you. 
Paul, uh, writing to his disciple Titus, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Notice, right there, as Paul's summing up the gospel message, uh, self-control is a part of it. And it's also part of his, his preaching, too. If, if you look at Acts 24, uh, the book of Acts 24, uh, Luke tells us that as Paul is preaching to the Roman governor Felix, it says, after some days, this is 24 verse 24, uh, after some days, Felix, the, the Roman governor of Judea, came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present, and when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. We're not sure whether Felix was alarmed at the, the topic of judgment or self-control, which would have been uh, strange in a lot of ways in Roman circles of those days. But either way, this is part of Paul's preaching on the gospel. Gospel of Jesus Christ, self-controlled lives. So what exactly is self-control, you might be asking? Well, the Greek word, enkratia, uh, has this idea of power over oneself. It's a word for power and inside combined together, basically. And a lot of the great philosophers thought this was important, whether that's Socrates or Aristotle or the Stoics or Philo, and so does the Bible. Right? The Bible and Christian teaching tradition teaches that human beings are not neutral. Right? We are prone to sin, default. We, are, we have a sin nature, and this is what the Bible calls the flesh. Right? We have a fallen nature that tends to go on autopilot, and we act against what's good for us and for society. We are prone to do whatever we want in the moment. Right? You, look at, you can think about children, right? young children, two, three. What do they do? Well, they do whatever they want, right? And we, we have to socialize them out of uh, not hitting their siblings or not screaming when they don't get what they want and to control their feelings and actions. And if we didn't do that, uh, society would be chaotic and anarchy, right? We do this with kids, we, but we see it, human nature at its core is what you see in a young child, doing whatever we want whenever we want it. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, Right before this, he spells out the works of the flesh. This is, this is verses 19 to 21 in Galatians 5. Right before he lists out this, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, he says, the, work of the, flesh, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think there's probably something in this list we all find ourselves struggling with. Maybe not all the things, but some of the things at least. And these things that Paul lists are common, but in the Bible's perspective, subhuman ways of living. And opposed to these things is self-control. Right? Self-control is being able to say no to the works of the flesh, right? It's, it's self-control is bigger than just 
a life hack for winning at life, right? Self-control is actually putting away a subhuman way of life and choosing a way of life that leads to flourishing. You can think about two characters in the Bible, Joseph and David. Joseph the patriarch, David the great king of Israel. Um, there's two passages, but in Genesis and then in, in uh, 2 Samuel, um, where David and Jonathan are faced with the same issue, and that is sleeping with another man's wife. Um, the same issue, but they have a different response and different outcome. Right? Joseph has this opportunity to be with another man's wife, and he says no and flees from the situation. Now, he's falsely accused later on, but he ends up upheld as a man of integrity later on. David sees Bathsheba, another man's wife, desires her, has an affair, and has her husband murdered. David, in other words, loses uh, control, and it ends in sin and evil that plagues his house and his line for centuries. We have to ask, why bother with self-control? Well, learning to say no to one's passions is always hard. And maybe for some of you in our current moment, it seems even harder than ever, right? We carry around devices in our pockets that buzz and chime and constantly inform us of something new, an instant that we have to give our attention to, that take us out of the moment, right? And, we, we, and in fact, these devices and the, the media we use is intentionally programmed with algorithms that hack our willpower and our self-control. They're designed to addict us. And so this idea of self-control feels even tougher in our cultural moment. And we also live in an instant society that eliminates the need to work hard and delay gratification um, to get what we want. Remember the days a few years ago when you had to go to the store to search for something that you thought maybe you needed? You had to spend maybe an hour looking through the store trying to find something. Uh, Remember the days where you had to wait two weeks to get that thing you ordered on Amazon? We don't live in those days anymore. Everything is instant at the push of a button as soon as we want it, maybe within five to seven hours on Amazon. But self-control, even in a situation like this where it's, it's really hard, is worth pursuing. It's a virtue worth pursuing. Because the Lord Jesus teaches us to take radical action against sin, against the things that we're out of control in, in the pursuit of living this life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, this is hyperbole, but if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Take radical action. We are plagued by sin, We are infected by it. We struggle with control. But there's a call in the Bible to put sin to death and to seek the ways of God, even when it's hard. And that means you might have to do radical actions. If there's something, if you can think of an area or a topic in your life where you're struggling in when it comes to this idea of control and you're just giving in over and over and over, you might need to delete an app off your phone. You might need to get off social media. You might need to install accountability software. You might need to stop going to certain places. You might need to stop buying snacks when you're at the grocery store, in my case. Uh, You might need to stop being with people who lead you into that situation. Take radical action. And it also means learning from your mistakes, right? When you fall, when you struggle, when you eat too many snacks at the men's event the night before, 
Uh, you can wallow in shame or guilt. That's one option. Or you can get back up and try again. You don't just say, well, Mike, I guess we're doomed forever to give in to eating that entire box of Oreos. No, you get back up and you learn from your mistakes. Look at how Paul talks about the life he lives in 1 Corinthians 9. This is the, the scripture passage where we looked that we read for us this morning. Paul is using here athletic metaphors to talk about how seriously he takes this. He says in verse 6, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, if you want to win a game, if you're an athlete, if you want to win a race, you have to practice. You have to train, right? If you want to get strong, you have to go to the gym. You have to put in the work and put in the reps. Um, you can't just show up and win a game. You have to train. And all great athletes learn from their mistakes. Not every workout at the gym uh, is going to be awesome and you're going to hit personal records and all this stuff, but it's the fact that you're even there showing up putting in the work, right? So Paul uses his metaphors. Um, there's a term that kind of has a negative connotation now with the term asceticism. Uh, the word is ascesis in Greek. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that a lot of the church fathers use. It's a word that Paul alludes to here. This idea of asceticism actually originally has to do with training, athletic training, or exercise. And it's this idea of putting off things that are holding us back, right? It's, it's making decisions about our lives or exercising the muscles of God's ways uh, in ways that lead to growth. Paul says, and he says in this, this passage in 1 Corinthians 9, he's like, okay, look at all the crazy things people do to get a first place medal or the best time in a race, right? If you're an athlete, maybe you've been there. Think about all the hard work that you put in over the years and two-a-days or whatever uh, to, to get to win a game. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. Think about how Paul's saying, think about all this work that people put into to just win a game. Just get the accolade of saying, you got first place. And maybe a medal that you'll get and someone will put in a garage sale when you die. And Paul's saying, if that's the case, if we put in so much effort on these little things, these things that in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, right? There's a Super Bowl every single year. It doesn't matter in the end of time, right? There's one every year. He's saying, Paul puts, Paul's saying, if athletes put in this much effort to train for these things, how much more ought we to train for a life of true glory? That's this idea of the imperishable crown. They're training for an imperishable or a perishable wreath, a crown. How much more should we train for a life of true glory, an imperishable life? And I, I recognize it's hard. Right? It's easy to say these things. It's hard to do them. So where can you get the power for this sort of life? Well, all of the secular suggestions when it comes to this idea of, of training uh, or, or self-control all rely on willpower. And it's easy to say, like, hey, you should do better. It's hard to live that out. Uh, and in fact, research has shown the more you try to like buckle down and white knuckle and self-control, self-control is actually a limited resource that you drain. So if you try to like be self-controlled in one area just through your own willpower and, and gritting your teeth, in other areas it's going to slide because there's only so much of that energy to go around, right? This is, there's a lot of research on this. Um, the, basically, the more you try to control, the less you have. 
This is where Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this is my story every Friday at men's Bible studies. These men's events are really bad for me, uh, the more I think about it. Uh, but every Friday morning at men's Bible study, I say, I'm not going to have a donut. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not going to have a donut today. And then those boxes get opened, and that sweet smell of sugar's in the air, and I just reach in that box, and I'm gone. Um, it's really easy to say, I'm not going to do this thing, only to do it. Well, there's one piece of advice a lot of folks in church history have, have given us when it comes to these ideas of self-control. It's very practical. Instead of rooting out sin, it's easier to crowd it out, right? Maybe if I ate some breakfast before I came to men's Bible study, uh, I might resist those donuts more, right? Because my stomach is full. I've crowded out the hunger. Probably not. I'm probably going to eat the donut. Um, but this is the point of the Shepherd of Hermas. The Shepherd of Hermas was this early church devotional literature. It's this, this vision. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. Um, it was this vision of a man named Hermas who had, he had interactions with an angel. Um, and it's, you know, it's devotional literature, so it's not, it's not scripture. But it's really interesting. One of the things that comes up in the Shepherd of Hermas is in this vision, this angel says to Hermas, he says, listen, he said, exercise self-control over evil and do not do it. But do not exercise self-control over good, but do it. If you exercise self-control, not doing good, you commit great sin. But if you exercise self-control, not doing evil, you do great righteousness. Therefore, exercise self-control over all wickedness and doing what is good. In other words, in this, in this devotional literature, it has this advice of seek self-control not over like good things, but over the bad things, but feel completely free to indulge and binge in doing good, right? If you want to binge read your Bible, go for it. Uh, if you want to binge pray, go for it. If you want to binge love your neighbor or binge worship, go for it. The reality is, it's actually easier to add virtue and add good things in our lives than to destroy the root of sin only in your for example, if you, uh, the idea of losing weight, right? At some point, many of us have tried it or at least thought about it, right? Uh, and you can, when it comes to losing weight, you can, you can change your diet. You can cut out sugar. You can cut out carbs. You can go Mediterranean. You can do intermittent fasting, whatever it is, right? You can just do that. You can just do some calorie reduction and lose weight. But it's hard, right? It's really hard just to cut out donuts, it takes discipline. It takes vigilance. You might lose some muscle mass. You might be really tired. It's actually easier to, and faster in a lot of ways, to pursue diet changes and start exercising. Right? Or even simpler, just eat the same way you always eat and just add in exercise. It's probably more enjoyable, too. In other words, adding in good things is easier than just stripping things away. Habits matter. Self-control is like a muscle. The more you practice it, the more you grow. So go, to, go back to Paul's athletic metaphor that he uses in this 1 Corinthians 9. He says, this is what athletes do. They eat right. They force themselves to the gym. They push themselves to the hardest. They say no to things that will hinder their product, progress. They add in all these good things to train and win. And so the question for all of us is, what are the things in my life that I need to add in? 
What are the things in the life that God is calling me to say no to? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to say no to? These are all really practical good advice. But ultimately, the power for self-control comes from the spirit of power. We need to say no to the flesh, but we also must say yes to the spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And later on, he'll say, keep in step with the Spirit. And this is this language of military marching, like follow the Spirit's marching orders. Listen to the Spirit's leading. Pray for the Spirit's help. Ask the Spirit to give you his power. We forget sometimes, we worship a God who is triune, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes we totally forget about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus Jesus said, it's better for me to go. It's better for me to go away because the comforter will come, the advocate will come, the helper will come. And if you feel like some of the the things that I'm saying this morning are resonating with you, be encouraged, because that's the Holy Spirit moving. That's the gift of God speaking to you. God has not left us to our own devices when it comes to this life that he calls us to. He's not just, we're not just supposed to read this stuff and feel guilty and bad. Like, God's given us power. God's given us strength. Um, He's given us his spirit. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Like, do you believe the scriptures? Like, do you believe? This is God's word, right? Do we believe that? I'll be honest, a lot of times I don't think of these things when 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 I'm thinking about growing in my own life. I, don't, I, I think it's all up to me. I think it's all my own power. I think it's all up to my own devices. And yet here is Paul, the apostle, saying God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of self-control. He is the advocate. He is the helper. He dwells within us to bring life to our mortal bodies. He is, to uh, use the language of the 12-step program, the power greater than ourselves, the higher power by which we must depend on to see transformation and growth and self-control. But he's also the spirit of liberty and freedom. Spirit of Christ Jesus, who said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God is a God who came to set captives free. God is a God who was crucified for us, to crucify the power of sin in our lives. God is a God who came not just to forgive sins, but also to bring healing and freedom to us. Look at how much God loves you. He gave his only son to die for you and to give you life. That's how much God is for you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God is on your side. That's how much God wants these things in your life. And at the end of the list of the Spirit's fruit, St. Paul writes in verse 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, know this. First of all, you belong to him. No matter what, you belong to him. 
Your old way of living, the promise of scriptures, is, is on its way out. Yes, it's still there. Yes, it's, it's, you still struggle. It's, but it's all hung up on the cross to die. It has been crucified. It's not dead yet, like the Monty Python uh, bring out your dead scene. It's still there. I'm not dead yet. But it's been crucified. This old way of living the flesh has been crucified with its passions and desires. It's not dead yet, but it's on its way out. Our hope in this life is not perfection. Our hope is not no more sin, never struggling ever again. But we've been given new life in the spirit of power and love and self-control and the promise that one day all these things that we struggle with, all the things that, we, that cling so close will be wiped out. In the meantime, we're just simply getting ready for that sort of life. We know that God is for us. God is on our side. God wants to give us a life of increasing love and power and self-control. God doesn't hold your failures against you, but he's given you his spirit to bring transformation in your life. Not perfection, but healing and growth. Paul writes, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. And so as we just finish this series on the fruit of the Spirit, if that's one thing you get out of is the, is the cling to the Spirit for help, to, to call out to the Spirit, to pursue the things of Christ, to ask for help, to take radical action against sin, great. But also, give free reign to prayer, to the Word of God, to worship and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and rely on on the spirit that God has given you to do that. Let's pray as we pray to come to the Lord's table. I'm, um, we, we've had these cards with this prayer of John Stott. I'm going to use this this morning for us. So if you have it, you can follow along with it, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.